This talk by Joan Sutherland, called Non-Duality is Flow, was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on May 31st, 2012. So, good evening again, Bodhisattvas. <laughs> um, the, the last time I was here, we were talking about um, taking a, a word like non-duality, which is a philosophical term of art, and seeing if we could reimagine it in more poetic language that brought it in a little bit closer. So uh, we were talking about non-duality last time as shimmer and flow. And we got through shimmer and we're going to move on to flow tonight. And then also talk some about how to bring that in to the nitty-gritty kinds of events and circumstances in our lives. <coughs> so from from philosophy to poetry to nitty-gritty. Um, just to say a, a, a word or two about non-duality as shimmer. The idea there is that the fundamental nature of things is such that in the words of the Lankavatara Sutra, which is my favorite formulation of this idea, things are not as they seem, nor are they otherwise. Things are not as they seem, nor are they other than what they seem. So there's the shimmer between those two things, between the unreality of everything and the absolute reality of everything. And non-duality is about um, seeing both of those things simultaneously and is not separate. So the shimmer idea is that you're seeing both of those simultaneously and that the world is shimmering all the time in that way between being as they seem and being not as they seem. And that, it seems to me, is what it means when we say that life is a dream. That is the nature of the dream. It is both real and unreal in exactly the same moment at exactly the same time. So, um, also in the Lankavatara Sutra, it's, it talks about how the natural state of things is a unity between the heart-mind and what we call the world, you know, as if they're separate, and they're not, and that's the point, that there is a unity between what is inside of us in our heart-minds and what is theoretically outside of us in, in the world. Um, and that this unity is the natural state of things. I find that really beautiful and really consoling. That that's how, if we relax, if we rest into it, that's how things are. There is a one whole thing of which we are um, a part. And that that natural state of things is the Tao, Buddha nature, original nature. It has all these names that people have given it over time. But basically it's just the way things are when we don't mess with it. Um, but we spend a lot of time messing with it. And the Lanka talks about how um, one of the big ways we do that is that we project things out from our heart-minds into the world, and then we think they're real. So instead of resting in the natural unity of our heart-minds, our thoughts and our feelings, and the world, 
we make a separation by projecting our ideas, our feelings, our opinions, our stories into the world, and then we see them and we go, oh, look, it's real. And then we're in relationship with that. We're in relationship with our projections rather than resting in that natural unity. Okay, so... Um, that's a whole big subject about about those projections, and, and we're always in some way talking about that. Um, for the moment, I want to talk about if we are able to experience the unity of inner and outer, and we are able to experience the shimmer of everything, inner and outer, what happens? What the, in, um, in our tradition... It's always being asked, what's the essence of something? And we're saying one way to think about the essence of reality is that it's a shimmer. And then the next question is, what's the function? What does it do? That's really important. And the function, what it does, the movement, is flow. So that our natural state is that there's a flowing in and out between Um, what we experience as our heart-minds and what we experience as the world. The world flows into us and we receive that. We flow out and into the world. Um, That's the natural movement of the natural state of things, that flow. So here's a really important shift in how we hold what it is we're doing. And we touched on this last time. Uh, when I was speaking, we can have the idea that awakening is a path to something. We're on we're on this path t- to awakening. Awakening is kind of the Emerald City at the end of the yellow brick road, uh, as though our heart minds are a sort of encapsulated thing that we're carrying along the yellow brick road to get to the Emerald City. But if we rest in this sense of the natural movement of things being a flow, world flowing into me, my flowing back out into the world, then suddenly we're not walking along a path toward a goal. We more and more recognize that we ourselves are flowing through, not on the path to, but flowing through the vast flow of awakening that's already here. It's not some distant goal. We are already in it. It is already flowing all around us. That's what the Tao is, the flow, the flow of awakening all around us. And we are more or less at any given moment flowing into it, letting it flow into us, and flowing with it. It's a really different view. It's a really different feeling about what this journey is about. In the Platform Sutra, a Chinese sutra, it talks about how if we impede this flow, if the mind, in the, in the language of the Platform Sutra, if, if a thought abides anywhere for a moment, so if, if the flow stops and we stick, we attach to something, we think, oh, that's it, you know, and, and we begin to replay the thought, then it, the Platform Sutra says, um, there's another moment of a thought attaching, and another moment, and another moment, and another moment, and that is bondage. So the 
um, impeding of that natural flow, the sticking, the stopping, the attaching of thought to things is bondage. And therefore, if we think about not stopping and sticking and um, attaching to things, but rather doing everything we can to allow the flow to flow, then we are neither binding our thoughts nor being bound by them. This is the state of freedom inherent in the flow. We don't bind our thoughts, sit there and do that, (laughs) and keep doing that until I tell you to stop. Um, Nor are we bound by them, nor are the thoughts, you know, shouting back at us their bad advice, as um, Mary Oliver once said. Um, And this this kind of... um, relationship with our thoughts also becomes our relationship with things. It helps us to develop a relationship of freedom with things, neither binding them nor bound by them, but something else. Something else that has to do with flow and exchange and even relaxation. So um, we go along and, and things are all right and I'm flowing into things and they're flowing into me and that's nice. And then sometimes there are perturbations in that. Often there are perturbations in that and I want to talk about that some. But first, um, just notice the difference between that sense of flowing, the world flowing in and being able to receive that and flowing out easily into the world and the observer. Because um, often in our meditative practices, we'll get the advice, you know, to become the observer, watch, look, notice, label. Um, and being that observer can be tremendously important at times when we're really reactive, say, when we're just getting so triggered all the time by something. It's, re- you know, it's just, it's what our mothers told us, right? Take three breaths before you speak. Step back a little, put a little distance between you and, and what's going on and see if you can come into a different relationship with it than this sort of immediate triggering kind of reaction. So in that sense, being able to step back a bit, step into the position of the observer can be hugely helpful. And I think it's also hugely helpful not to think of that as the end point. We, we're not looking to end, end up as good observers of life. We are um, recognizing that if, if the natural state of things is this kind of flowing motion between us and the world, there are going to be moments of ebb tide. There are going to be moments when we need to recede a bit, um, like, the, like the sea pulling itself back into itself, concentrating itself, um, before the next um, surge of, of tide. So the momentary, the seasonal ebbing, um, the, the stepping back into the role of observer, all of that can be tremendously important as long as we don't stop there, as long as we see that in this, in this tidal movement, um, ebb and flow, ebb and flow, over and over again, with maybe a little bit of leaning into the flow side of that, so that in some, t- in some way the ebb is serving the flow in the big picture.
Okay, so then, that's nice, but sometimes other things happen. Sometimes we have difficulties. Sometimes um, things feel really challenging or painful or difficult, and it doesn't feel like the natural movement of things at all. Here's where this um, can still be really helpful. If we're in a difficult time, if we're confronting a challenge, it's one thing to say, oh, in the story of my life, I've hit a really bad chapter, you know, or there's something wrong, there's a problem, I've got to fix it, I've got, there's something out of, out of whack, I either have to rearrange something in the world or I have to adjust my attitude towards it. If instead we notice, oh, there's something obstructing the flow, what I notice is that I cannot easily accept and receive the flow of the world, nor can I easily flow back into the world. That's a really different way of holding those times that are challenging, those times that we might even say are suffering. And the way we will tend to work with them, to address them, are really different. And one of the things you might notice about it is the absence of a focus on what's happening to the self. This is not about, you know, how's the self doing? The self is happy, the self is unhappy, it's working, it's not working, um, all of that. It's, oh, there's something, there's something obstructing the flow. How can I deal with that? So... Um, as, as many of you know who are involved with us, um, I'm at a, a kind of moment like that in my life in that this will be my last talk here for a while until September. I'm going to go on um, medical leave for the summer because I'm experiencing some um, health challenges that, that I don't think are going to respond to anything but stepping back for a while and, um, and really resting and, and pursuing some treatment. So I thought, since that's the kind of thing that many of us face a lot, those kinds of circumstances in our lives and those kinds of decisions, what do we do at times like that? How do we make the choices we need to make at times like that? I thought maybe I would use that as a, this as a little bit of a test case for what do we do when it's not flowing? What do we do when we're aware that there's some kind of um, obstruction going on? And how can we do that in some other way than along this spectrum of the self that runs from self-indulgence to self-sacrifice, you know, and runs through a lot of nice things in the middle, like self-care and, you know, all that stuff. But, but fundamentally, like, it's all, it's all about the self. Is there another way to, um, to address such a time in our lives, not along that axis or spectrum? So the first thing to notice is, oh, the capacity for flow isn't there. I don't have the capacity for the flow. What's that about? Why don't I? And so we begin with an inquiry, and there is no topspin on the inquiry. There's no judgment about it. There's no, um, this is right, this is wrong, this has got to change, this will never change. I mean, there's none of that. It's just simply... There's an obstruction, there's a lack of capacity, what's that about? So the first thing is a kind of uncharged, unbiased inquiry into what's happening. 
One of the ways that, that I'll begin to think about something like that is to see where it fits in the natural ecology of, of my life. And um, by that I mean there's the stuff that's geology, that's um, character, karma, cultural circumstance, upbringing, you know, all of that stuff, right? So that's, that's, the, that's the bedrock stuff that changes very slowly and that we tend to be standing on when we're looking at the circumstances of our lives. So that's one, one layer of the ecology of oneself is that geology. And then sort of at the, if that's the, the bedrock, then up at the, the topmost layer is the weather. You know, it's sunny today, um, but it looks like it's going to be stormy tomorrow. That, the stuff that rises and falls, which we might call mood. The things that come and go, they blow in and they blow out. And kind of one of our you know, main tasks with weather or mood is n- not to attach to it, not, not to let it blow in and let it blow out. And just notice that it's happening and try not to take it um, too seriously. And then um, in between the, the bedrock geology stuff and the fluctuating weather mood stuff, there's um, a kind of middle zone which I think of as seasons. Um, they still come and go. They still rise and fall a lot more frequently than geology, but they're a little bit longer lasting than moods or weather. And they're the, you know, the kind of passages of our lives when we think about, oh, that was the time when. You know, that's a, that's a season. Um, and obviously those aren't pure things. I mean, you're going to get eruptions of geology into a season, for sure. Or um, during a season, you're going to have, um, you're going to have weather. The weather's going to change in the season. Um, I was thinking about a, a time in, in my illness recently when I sort of hit the, 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 rawest, um, least resilient place that, that I got to when, you know, a couple times someone said something to me and I got really, really, really upset. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so that's a little bit of eruption of weather into a season. The season is the illness. And then this is, I, I checked it out and I thought, this isn't geology. I wouldn't have done that three months ago. So it's not geology. It's, it's related to this time and place. And I can see it's weather, it's already shifting. I'm already not that raw anymore. So they're not pure states, they're always moving in and out of each other, but um, I always check, where am I? Where, where, what is this? And, and what's happening right now is clearly a season, and the season has its own um, customs and needs um, that are different than either geology or weather. So I wanted to talk about um, some of the, the, the customs of the place of seasons. And the first won't come as a surprise to anybody is, is approaching it with um, an attitude of not knowing, of sitting deeply in not, in not knowing, not coming to it with a whole bunch of stories, not landing prematurely on meaning. I don't know what this is yet. I couldn't possibly know what this is yet because I'm still really in the middle of it. And it's not going to help me to come to a premature conclusion about what the story of this time is. That's only going to 
um, distract me from, from, from really watching for other possibilities, for being surprised, for having my mind changed about what's going on. So, so <clears throat> that's not knowing. Um, not coming in with precon- preconceptions. <coughs> not even really thinking much about um, what happened last time I was sick. You know, that was last time. And this is this time. So not coming loaded with, with those stories. And coming really willing to, um, to see what's going on. And if it's uncomfortable to hold the not knowing, to be willing to bear that discomfort. Um, at this point in my life, I'm happy to say it's not too difficult to hold, hold the not knowing. But if it were, that would be okay, you know, to, to live with that discomfort. And then to ask, you know, what is the nature of the season? What is this? Um, not to make the season bad, not to try to get back to the season before, or try to create a new season which will be the, the season after. Not to do any of that, but to really see <clears throat> what is this season? Um, what is this like? And um, to notice what are the, the qualities of this season. I was thinking about how in the um, beautiful summer mornings before it gets really hot, when everything's in bloom, an open field is a good place to be. Um, but if a thunderstorm comes in, an open field is not such a good place to be if there's lightning all around you. And so it's noticing that. What is the nature of this season? It's not a good season for hanging out in open fields, you know, whatever the version is of that. But that doesn't mean that thunderstorms are bad. That just means that's not of this time and place. That's not of this season. So what does it require? What does it ask for? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then the second, the second bit, along with not knowing, is to really welcome both the season and the events that are occurring within it as noble guests. Not just tolerating them, not just bearing them, not just accepting them, but actually welcoming them as noble guests. Come in, sit down, what do you have to say? Really listening. And um, listening with a kind of hospitality, an attention to the guest, a willingness, and an impartiality. Um, Sometimes when we talk about things like equanimity, it can sound like we're saying, oh, you should feel the same about everything that happens. No matter what happens, you just feel the same about it. That's not actually what equanimity means. What it means is that you will welcome everything equally, and then you will feel whatever you feel about it. But you will open your heart equally to every event, to every inflow from the world, to every (coughs) outflow from yourself. Open your heart equally, and then be willing to feel completely whatever it is you feel. You're not going to feel the same about everything, obviously, nor should you try. But you can listen with impartiality. You can open your heart equally to whatever happens. Um, I was thinking about, about this in, in um, relationship to my dreams. So another part of what we're 
we're talking about is listening really carefully. And I've been listening to my dreams, which have been um, shouting at me. And so far what I can kind of get <laughs> at, by their volume is um, that there's a certain press on my psyche right now, and there's a certain press on my body, and it's showing up in my dreams. And that's not always, you know, really easy to wake up and, oh yeah, there it is, you know, there it is again. So, um, we might wake up and feel encouraged by a dream, or we might wake up feeling discouraged by a dream, and that's fine, that's okay. The point is that we listen with equal attention to the discouragement and the encouragement. And in doing that, we're right there with the shimmer of things. We're not picking and choosing. We're allowing um, all of it to be present and listening as unbiased as we can to what's going on. Um, and the last, the last bit I want to mention about um, this kind of season is that it always, it seems, requires certain discernments and certain kinds of um, choices to be made. And here, what seems like the most important thing, um, if, we're, um, if we're aware of the flow that is the natural state of things, is to try to, to make those discernments and make those decisions with the largest sense it's possible to have of what the self is. So that it's not simply about, you know, what do I need, what, um, what do I want, what has to happen here in this really local neighborhood, but how far can I extend that out? <clears throat> what can I include as the self that is making this decision? How, how can I discern what is um, best for that? And that can change because one of the things that often happens in something like an illness or a sorrow, a grief, is that we start out pretty close to home and then we're slowly able to expand and have a larger and a larger sense of self. So maybe the, the, the most important thing at the beginning is to realize this is not a season for making decisions. You know, not yet. Um, part of the nature of this season, part of the culture of this season is don't make any decisions. Just wait. And even if that's uncomfortable, don't make any decisions because it's not the right time. And then, as you keep your attention a little bit on the thought of making a decision at some point, um, you're not looking at what do I need to decide, but you're looking at when is it ripe to make the decision? When is the decision itself ripe? And that is held by something larger than the needs of yourself. That is held by the needs of yourself and the surroundings and however, you know, however much is involved in the decision, all of that ripens. And our job is not to um, decide it prematurely or decide it because that's what the self needs, but to watch for that ripening and to see when it becomes time to make the decision. And we may not even feel, you know, close in locally at the level of the self, like it's time to make the decision, but the decision's right, so there you are, do it. 
right? So, so here, this is, this is an example of a way of taking it off the axis of the self, off the axis from self-indulgence to self-sacrifice, but looking for um, what is becoming ripe in the situation and at what moment is it clearly ripe and time for that fruit to fall off the tree on one side or the other of the decision. And all the time that we're <clears throat> working with the, the nature and the customs of a season like this, um, to the extent we can, if we keep touching in with the shimmer of things, with the vast, beautiful, terrifying, wonderful, poignant, heartbreaking dream, that's going like this all the time, that we are part of, that is always flowing into us and that we're always flowing into, that is carrying us along in some way and yet that we are helping to shape. If we can keep reminding ourselves of that and allow that to support everything, including the difficult times, including those moments when we have to make decisions, um, it's a bigger thing. It's a more spacious thing. It's a place we can learn to actually rest no matter what is going on. It's a place where we don't have to rely on the <clears throat> what we've been calling the, the um, apparatus that we stand behind and manipulate to make things go well. We can let that go and actually lie back on the flow. And then it's not all on this very little tight local neighborhood to figure everything out. It's on the whole dream to figure it out. And really, all we have to do is pay attention. Thank you. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.